But Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. For the sweet spirit, Lord God, that you're pouring out. For the transition, Lord God, that you are doing in us to get us to where it is that we need to be to be positioned in your timing. Lord, we're asking for those spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, for any discouragement, disappointment to be broken off of your people, Lord God, as, Lord, there is an excitement that even in the midst of opposition, Lord God, that you are doing something on behalf of your people. We thank you for the harvest that's coming in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said amen. You know, you know, I was thinking um, uh, just as I was sitting up here a little while ago um, while we were in worship and I started thinking about, you know, there was, a, there, was a, there was a meeting that I did and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. I'm going to kind of tell the story backwards in some ways. Uh, I, was, I, w- I had prayed for somebody that got healed of cancer and I was in uh, uh, Managua, Nicaragua and, and it was um, one of the first people I ever saw get healed of cancer. Um, and I remember that I went back to the hotel room that night and I, w- I was in my bed and I was sleeping and, you know, I'm not, this, is, oh man, this sounds like a weird story to tell. It's coming off the bat when I start telling it out loud, but I was laying in my bed and in the middle of the night, I woke up being choked and there was nobody there. Um, it was a spirit that was trying to choke me in the middle of the night. And I just, I remember at first, you know, it's startling, you know, like, and, and I woke up and, I, I ha- and all of a sudden I had presence of what was happening. And then I was like, in the name of Jesus, you need to go. And I began to call out the spirit of cancer to get its hands off of me. Now, you know, the reason why I'm telling that story really is this, is that, you know, today in the church, a lot of people don't really believe that the spiritual realm is real. You know, we, we, we tend to do church in many places. You guys are not, I'm not talking about you guys, but as a whole, the church tends to focus on how to do everything from the natural. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of the practical and the natural, meaning that, you know, there, there are a lot of people that don't think about anything practical. And you absolutely have to be able to do some practicals to be able to get along in this life. But there is also another, there is another realm. And it is called the spiritual realm, amen? And, and in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, there is um, this, this thing that the Bible talks about in regards to the spiritual realm. And it, and it actually, it, I'm going to read it because sometimes it, I don't always um, say it as well as if I read it, but it says, it says, for we are not wrestling with flesh and blood. It says, contending only with physical um, opponents, but against the depotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? Amen? You know, but like, you know, you know first of all, the, the Bible is making it apparent. Paul is trying to make it apparent that that no matter what you think is happening, there are spiritual forces that are behind it all that, that are making things happen. Amen? 
Now, like I, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit rooted. Like, you know, I'm I really like to figure out how to hear from God, but I also like to keep one foot in the reality of this world too, because I like, and I think God wants to do that. Amen. I think God wants to give us revelation from the spiritual realm. He wants to speak to us, and He wants to invade from that realm to affect this realm. Amen. And so it's not like He doesn't care about this realm. Realm, He absolutely does. Amen. And that's why He's trying to work through us. But we have to be aware that there is a fight that is not in this world, but it's in another world. And, you know, last night I was talking about Christians. I was talking about Christians in terms of the authenticness and the genuineness that they have to have in their relationship with God. And to do that, there has to be a relationship. There has to be something that is going on in terms of relating him that is by the Spirit, that you were born of the Spirit to relate to God by the Spirit because there was no ability to do that in the natural. So God gave you a Spirit, right? You were born again of the Spirit so that you could operate in a realm that you were not able to operate in before. Amen? Am I making some sense to you? So the, so the Bible says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. But I can tell you right now, from my travels, this is my observation, that much of the church seems like they're trying to fight the battles that we're supposed to be fighting in the spirit, in the natural. And it feels like we're not winning sometimes because that fight was never meant to just be fought in the natural. As a matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of people in the church that are actually mad at the world. And they're mad at people that don't know Jesus. And they're mad because they think they're doing bad stuff or bad politics or bad whatever agendas that they might have. And the reality is that your fight and our fight is not supposed to be with that. Our fight is supposed to be in the spiritual realm. And if we don't figure out how to fight in the spirit, we will not see the victories that we're supposed to be seeing in the natural. Now, now this weekend, in, in some ways, is about, uh, it's been entitled, really, in terms of an authentic Christianity because, or, or an authentic church. Because it requires us to operate in this way so that we can operate in, a, in, a, in a, an authenticity that results in an authority. Amen? And, it's, and I believe this. I believe that if we were to fight the battles that we're supposed to be fighting in the spirit, that we would not have to fight some of the battles that we're fighting in the natural. And, I, and, and unless we begin to divinely realize these kinds of realities, then our communities are going to suffer. And I believe there's a lot of places right now that are suffering. There's a lot of people that are suffering in the natural, in our community, our loved ones, different things, because there's a battle that was supposed to be fought in the spirit, right? That, that, which means that there has to be something about entertaining and hosting the presence of God. Because the Bible says here that these things, these things in terms of the, the principalities, the powers, and the rulers, that these things, that they're also in the heavenly sphere, like the Bible says that you're seated in Ephesians chapter 2. It actually says that you're seated in heavenly places. Now, a lot of places people like to talk about that like it's a great theology. 
Man, as a matter of fact, if you go into a lot of spirit-filled places, that's something that you'll hear people want to quote. I almost don't like to hear it anymore because a lot of people, that's just more of some dropping some knowledge than it is an actual place that they function from. Like the Bible says that that's a place and where you're supposed to operate from. It's, it's, it's God speaking to you from another reality in another realm by your spirit so that you can have authority over those things. Amen? Amen. And we're seeing the manifestation of many of those kinds of things. So we have to go there because if we can go there, and I'm just giving an illustration, you know, from, from the spiritual aspect because I was talking about last night about, you know, um, Matthew 16, and one, somebody was asking me a question, the brother in the back, and because uh, um, yeah, the, the original translation says there that whatever you see bound in heaven is what it is that you can bind on earth. Whatever it is that you see loosed in heaven is what it is that you have authority to loosen on earth. Amen. Now, because many of you, many people's Bibles translations do not say that. It says, it says that you, whatever you bind on earth will, will, will be loosed in heaven. Or whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Which makes no sense, really. Heaven doesn't need things to be bound and loosed by your authority based on the natural. Amen? But that's what the original translation says. So what does that mean practically? Does that mean that you have to actually see yourself in a sphere and you have to be looking down from a place called heavenly places? Not necessarily. What that means is that there is a kingdom and heaven lives inside of you. It's the spirit of God that is inside of you. And when God speaks to you and God quickens something inside of you that causes you to be aware of his reality, that means there's an authority that has been released inside of you that you can act on by releasing it. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. And you can and and you can release the kingdom. They can change atmosphere around you. So you learn to operate in that realm. You learn to operate in that place so that you don't have to fight those battles in the natural. Amen. And you know, really when you don't deal with things for a while, that's what the Bible talks about really there's this uh, this graduation where first you have rulers and then you have principalities and then you know or then you have powers and then you have principalities because the battles get stronger because because once something begins to take hold and feel like it has an authority in a place it wants to continue to do more we see that in our nation there are certain things um, that that the church gets upset about right and they're, they're like, okay, well, this is immoral, or this is, you know, this is horrible, or this is demonic. And it's like, okay, but I'll, some of those things started off small, and it was no big deal. And pretty soon, it's a way of thinking that everybody seems to be having, or it's a culture now, which means something switched. We moved from just there being a ruler to there being a principality. We didn't fight the battle. We tried to fight in the natural and now we have a bigger war because it requires us to have to fight from heavenly places. Amen? Now, like, you know, I don't really like to over-spiritualize things necessarily. You might be thinking that's kind of funny because it doesn't sound that way, right? But, like, but the Bible says here, it says, it says in the middle of that, it says, in this present darkness. 
If you think about what that means, it's not just a good book that somebody wrote a long time ago, right? Uh, was the guy named Peretti or whatever that wrote this present darkness. But that literally, the Bible's saying that this present darkness, I mean, what do you see around you that's dark? What do you see that's not God that is around you? And it's saying that this present darkness is because of these things, right? That means like, you know, if there's sickness, there's disease. You know, a lot of times I don't like to, you know, I want to be practical, but a lot of times there are spiritual things behind that stuff. Matter of fact, when I started seeing people get healed more, oftentimes it was because I was dealing with the spirits that were behind it rather than just dealing with the practical. Rather than just saying, okay, well, this is happening, this, that, that's happening. Now, Christians sometimes get uncomfortable with that. Because they don't like to think that there's a demon or there's something that could have, you know, I don't care. You know, some people get caught up. Is the demon in you? Is it on you theologically? I mean, who cares? Really, in some ways, who cares? Because all I know is this. If I'm sick or you're sick or somebody that you love is sick, all I want is for you to get better. Right? Rather than get caught up in all the reasons. See, the religious spirit wants to get you to get caught up in fights that do not matter. It wants to get you arguing about things that are intellectual rather than dealing with the thing that needs to be dealt with, amen, from a spiritual place, amen? And so, you know, this is, this is a part of what it takes to be authentic, right? When I was talking about last night in terms of Second um, Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, where it talks about there are Christian people that they have like um, an image or a form of godliness, but they don't have the power of. You know, and you can look at that from several different dimensions. Last night, we, we looked at it in terms of an aspect of character and maybe integrity and even morality, you know. And, and we, could, we could say, well, part of the power of is really about uh, the identity of Christ that is in you, right? The resurrection power that lives inside of you and whether you've actually had an encounter and whether there's been transformation in your life. And then there's this other side that also the power of could be the manifestation of that which is in you, right? That there would be authority to change things, amen? That there would be the same authority that transformed you now, in a lack of a better way, is leaking out of you, right? And it's actually changing the atmosphere that's around you. Like last night, you know, um, I think I quoted the verse, um, you know, about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Is my voice already sounding bad? All right, all right, all right. It's getting, uh, all right, it's insulting. He, look, he's pointing to somebody, set him up or something like that for failure, right? Praise the Lord. Uh, um, but, you know, um, you're the answer to that. That God put his kingdom in you. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, God chose. He chose to use you. He chose to put his kingdom in you, right? So that you could release his kingdom so that other people could experience that. Amen? And you know, that verse there, you know, it's the only verse where Paul says, and I said this last night too, but Paul says not to have anything to do with the people that are not authentic. 
in terms of that they just have a form. They just want to say that they have things in terms of word, but there's no substance of God that is in them. And they are more dangerous and more hurtful to people than they are in terms of the character of God, where they're supposed to be loving people, seeing people set free, so that people can experience who God actually is in their lives. Amen? And that's one of the things that we were talking about because, and, 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 I, and one other thing that I want to allude to from last night, and then I'll move on to something new. But I was talking about John 17. And John 17 there, it talks about us being one, and it talks about that the world would know who we are by our love for one another and being made one. In other words, some people would look at that in terms of unity. And when it comes to, like, the authenticness to us as a believer, you know, in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, you know, one of the things that I finally began to understand in, 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 in sitting on that is that it keeps the world from knowing what is really God and what isn't God. The Bible, you know, right now we have a lot of different people that are calling a lot of things God that is not necessarily God. There's a whole lot of sects even within Christianity anymore that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ anymore because the foundation is that you died, that you were crucified on the cross with Christ Jesus. What's my point here? My point is this, that, that the world will not know what is God and who God is unless there's a clarity of who those are that are actually gods and that there is a unity that is among that that the world would see and the Bible says that that is how they will believe and know who he is. Amen? And that's why it's such an important thing for us to come to a place of living out of this authenticity. Amen? Living out of who we are. You know, you know, my goal, my goal really um, in, in life is just to try to figure out how to be who I am, just show up and just be me. I'm not trying to be anything. Um, you know, I don't, I try not to prepare um, for performances. I just try to figure out how can I connect with God and then out of that connection, let God show up. Amen. And try to operate out of that kind of a place. So like, I don't really believe in necessarily trying to prepare for a message. I don't care if somebody else does that. That's okay with them, but mostly because God, um, he told me to not do that anymore. And so out of obedience, I don't do that. Does that not mean that, you know, preparation that could be there in terms of being in the word, being in prayer with him? Absolutely. But things come out of that kind of a place. Amen. But the spirit of religion wants to shut down who God is in you, Right. It wants to keep you from being who it is that you're supposed to be, amen? So, I, you know, I remember, you know, uh, in my own journey was, you know, I was praying, and, and I was spending time with the Lord. And, and I, I remember that I, I, out of obedience, I went to a place, and some people prayed for me in terms of, um, you know, um, uh, in regards to an impartation, even in regards to healing. You know, one of the things that I found out in my own life was, um, you know, the prophetic, um, words of knowledge, evangelism, those were things that seemed to be like, they were things that I could get even just by just seeking God for myself. But then there was something when it came to healing that was a little bit different. For some reason, I didn't really feel like I ever had very much of a breakthrough in terms of healing just by seeking God. And, and, 
And it, I, for whatever reason, God needed some other people in my life in that particular area. And the only way I can explain that is that sometimes, you know, I'm from Montana, so we think that we can pull ourselves up our own bootstraps, so to speak, and figure out how to get it done. Healing was not that way. And, and, and sometimes I think that God, um, he uses other people sometimes because he wants us to know that we need somebody else in our lives, that we need each other. Amen? And so I, you know, so I, I remember um, I went to this place, and um, there were some prophetic people that I knew um, there, and they, they basically um, um, saw me there, and they, and, they, and they began to pray over me that, and they said, this weekend you're going to have off-the-chart signs, wonders, and miracles. Well, I didn't, I didn't know what that looked like or what that meant necessarily, but I was actually launching my um, itinerant ministry at that point. I was just starting, right? And so, you know, I go to this meeting, and there's, a, there's about 600 and some people there. And, and, you know, in the first meeting, like we see, like, I, I get to see 100 people healed. And uh, in that meeting, I saw three blind people healed. I saw two deaf people healed. I saw a crippled guy get healed. This lady, actually, I remember she came, and she brought her glasses to me. She was just praying that God would, um, you know, heal her eyes um, because she wanted to read the Bible. It was just something real simple like that. She came and brought me her glasses. And said, I don't need these anymore. I had surgery scheduled for this week, and I no longer need these eyeglasses. Amen? And so there's another guy. I can't remember. He had all kinds of stuff, and he got touched by God. And, you know, and so, you know, it was out of that that, you know, it wasn't that much longer that the story that I told you about, you know, I was in Nicaragua. And so I'm in Nicaragua, and I was at this meeting, and God started to do things in terms of healing in a way um, that was different than what I'd seen before, you know. And so I was at this meeting, and we saw several crippled people healed again. We saw people that were blind and deaf again being healed. And, and God was doing something really cool. And, and, and I remember at the end of that night, I was exhausted. And in Nicaragua, you know, um, the, the church that I was preaching in that particular night, I remember, like, it, it echoed really badly. Like, it was... Um, you know, it was all, you know, like, you know, it's just stone walls or whatever, and people are playing the music, and and you, and when you speak, it's all echoing everywhere. You know what I'm talking about, right, in some of the, some of these different countries and stuff, and so, you know, and so I'm tired, and I can't even hear myself think, and I finally, I sit down after all of this, and this young man comes over to me, and he says, will you go with me to the hospital tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to. Um, first of all, because I'm, I'm doing like entrepreneurial, like business meetings during the day. We're hosting this conference for it. And at night, we're going to different churches and different places and doing ministry. So I'm tired. I don't want to. I have another obligation. But the guy's so desperate that I can't say no to him. So he's like, you know, can you please go? And, and so I finally said, okay, I'll tell you what. If you call me and um, in the morning early and stuff like that and you come pick me up, I'll go. So sure enough, he calls me early, which I hate because it's morning and I'm up late. And so, um, and he's like, Pastor, he's so excited. And I'm not, right? Like, I'm not even expecting. And he's like, hey, I'm ready to go. You know, and so I'm like, okay. I get my happy face on and I'm trying to, you know, you know, get ready. And so I jump in the car with the guy. And I don't know why I'm going. But on the way there, I find out that his sister-in-law has cancer. And she, she wants me to, he, you know, he wants me to go pray for. Her. So that he brings me into this third world hospital and, and, and I, 
and I, you know, get escorted in this little room. Um, there, you know, there's a lady there behind behind this sheet that's all torn up, and there, you know, there's all kinds of other people around. And I, um, and I get escorted in, and I, I, this lady is there. I, and I can see that she's in pain. She's contorted in pain. She's laying on the hospital bed, and I, and, and I walk over to her, and I start to have a conversation with this guy who's translating with for me, and I find out, you know, um, that she doesn't know Jesus. So I, you know, so I end up talking about Jesus, ask her if she wants to accept Jesus, and she gives her life to Jesus. And to be honest with you, I'm happy now because I just think, okay, at least if she dies, she's going to go to heaven, right? And, and so I feel like it's a victory. And I remember, like, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to leave the hospital now, and, and I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, no, I didn't ask you to come just to do that. I asked, I asked you to come because I want you to pray for this woman to be healed. So I go back and I talk to this woman. I said, I'd like to pray for you to be healed. If that would be, you know, if that would be something you'd let me to do. And so, you know, we start praying for her and I start praying for her. And, you know, as I'm praying for her, like, like her body and her countenance begins to change. Like she's no longer just like in the fetal position and in pain. And pretty soon she's sitting up on the bed. You know, we prayed for a few minutes and, and, and we're commanding cancer to come out of her body and the sickness and disease to come out of her body. And so pretty soon she's sitting up. And she seems to be doing a lot better. And, and so I asked her, I said, do you think you can get out of bed? And I guess she hadn't been out of bed for like a couple of weeks now because she was just getting weaker and was in pain. And so she gets up out of the bed and she walks to the center of where all the hospital gurneys are kind of coming together where people's beds ends are meeting. And she starts spinning around and she's shouting and she's like, you know, excited. She's not saying hallelujah and all that kind of stuff. She doesn't know the church lingo and any of that kind of stuff. But she's excited, you know, because all the pain is gone. It's left her body. Body, right, and matter of fact, other people in the in the hospital room are now shouting and they're getting excited about you know um, you know because they saw what happened with this lady and they know that she's been in bed, and all the all the nurses and the doctors come in because there's so much commotion to see what's going on, and and, and so you know, uh, but I'm not actually even enjoying this. It's it's you know this is something that God's doing because I think I have to be in another meeting. I don't, know, like, I don't know if you've been like where, you know, um, where you're in church, you know, and you're like, oh, God, I just want you. I want you to use me. Oh, God, just, you know, do something with my life. You know, I want to see the miraculous. I want to do the signs and the wonders and miracles. And then it starts to happen. Oh, God, I want to be used for healing. And then it happens like where God wants you to do something. You're like, I got other things to do right now. You know, because it's, sometimes it's just really inconvenient, right? And I was supposed to be teaching at this other thing. So, like, so I'm not necessarily enjoying it. I'm trying to think, like, how do I get out of there? And so, and it might have been the reason why I didn't even pray for her in the beginning other than just to come to Jesus, right? And so, you know, sometimes we're caught up in our own world. And so, so I'm, trying, I'm trying to congratulate the lady, and so I'm trying to get out of there. And as I'm trying to get out of there, like, I, I walk by this other lady's bed, and she grabs me by my right arm. And she, and, and she asked me to, to pray for her. But she's got oxygen, you know, tubes that are going around her, her, you know, her neck and her face and into her nostrils, right? And, and so I just go to lift my hand. I didn't even get a chance to, like, lay my hands on her. And she rips the tubes out of her face, right? And, and, and the nurses come over, and they say she's okay to go home. And I'm actually the biggest skeptic in the room. 
I'm kind of like, are you sure? Because, like, back home we test people. Like, we don't just send them home, right? And so, that, you know, but they, they let her go home, literally. And so, you know, you know so this is all happening. And, I, and so I'm still, I'm trying to get out of here. I'm trying to get out of here, and, and this took a little more time. And then, you know, there's another lady that stops me, and she asked if um, I could pray for her, too. And, and her neck had a tumor on it. And we laid hands on that tumor, and that tumor started shrinking underneath our hands as we were praying. And God healed like three women in the middle in, in just about 20 minutes. And, and now, you know, the nurses, they come over to me, and they say, um, they say um, we'd like to escort you around the hospital to have you pray for all the sick people. <laughs> now, I don't know if you know this, but hospitals are full of sick people. You know, so I didn't make it to my meeting that day. You know, as a matter of fact, there was one other, um, you know, I, I remember I prayed for a lot of people that day. I don't remember how many people I prayed for. But we got to see several people healed. Um, besides that, there were a lot of other people that came to Jesus too. But I remember, you know, one of the most sobering things that was at the end of the meeting that somebody took me back to pray for this baby that was just like weeks old. And this baby was supposed to die. And, and they took me back and I prayed for this baby. But there was no, like, indication that anything had happened. I didn't know. You know, I, I went back there, you know, and just believed God for this baby. And I left. And I just remember, like, there was just something in me that just, that, that didn't set right, like, that I didn't know, you know, and this baby, and you're going to leave. And then, um, you know, so I come back to Nicaragua, like, a year later. And I'm doing another entrepreneurial business meeting. And... and and this lady in the middle of this meeting, because I don't speak very good Spanish, um, you know, um, I, I'm like, hola, el baño, you know, um, you know, por favor, you know, things like that. You know, um, anyway, I have another story to tell, but I won't tell that story because I'm going to stay focused here. But, um, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm there and there's nobody to translate. And this lady comes and she lays at my feet in the middle of this business meeting, like before it's going to start. And, and she just starts bawling. And she's crying at my feet. And I don't, I can't even, you know, all I can say is no comprende, you know. Or, you know, but like, it's like, I, it's awkward. And finally, somebody comes over to translate. And they come over and they, and they say, this lady is the one, is she's trying to thank you. Because the last time you were here, you prayed for her baby that was supposed to die and her baby lived. I didn't even know that that happened. Like, I mean, it wasn't like I got glory for that or I got, like, you know, any kind of satisfaction out of it, like from a, you know, in the moment. But God did this thing that I didn't even know he did. Amen? And, you know, I, you know, I found that God does a lot more stuff that you didn't even know got answered, like when you step out into it. And it's interesting because sometimes we're walking around going, well, I don't know if God can use me. And yet... God did this stuff that you didn't even know happened. I mean, my brother over here was telling me last night, like, um, that God healed him in a part of his body last night, you know, one of the times that I was here. See, I didn't know that. He told me, right? How many times have you prayed for someone where God probably actually did something that you didn't know? Are there times that you prayed or times that you did something that actually, you know, you, you didn't know about, but it actually did happen? but you somehow felt like God didn't want to or God wasn't using you somehow? See, the religious spirit wants to shut you down. You, fact, you know, um, go with me to 1 John for a moment. 
And sometimes we don't, we, we don't think that our, you know, learning to operate, even in, in terms of the spirit and these places, are, uh, you know, they make a difference because sometimes we're, we feel like we're failing. You know, every time we, we don't want to pray for someone, we don't want to command something, we don't want to, we don't want to do something because we're afraid we're going to fail one more time. We're going to let someone else down, and we feel like we're letting ourselves down somehow. And, and, and that's a part of what the religious spirit wants to do, right? And so, you know, I want to look at First John for a moment. I'm trying to get there, sorry. First John 4. But um, here's what it says here in First um, in John chapter 4, verse 1. But it says, uh, Beloved, do not put your faith in every spirit, but prove, test the spirits to discover whether they proceed from God. I mean, this morning or, or this afternoon, I think it was like noon or whatever when we were meeting together, you know, one of the things that I, the verse that we talked about is the Bible says um, that the spiritual man judges all things. Say all things. Like, because what you hear oftentimes in terms of media, what you hear oftentimes in the church is the, is the Bible says that do not judge. And what that means really is that you're not supposed to look at people, try to figure out what's wrong with them to criticize them and to put them down. But the Bible does say that the spiritual man, meaning the one that's born again, the one that, is, that knows Jesus, the one that, that we would say is an authentic Christian, right? Like, like it says that they are the ones that they judge all things. Like, what does that mean? Like, I mean, there is supposed to be a spirit of discernment that is in you to know what is God and what is not God. You know, um, you know, I remember when I was a, when, when I, my kids were growing up. Sometimes I'd be driving down the road sometimes, and and for some reason I I verbalize, I I, I talk out loud my thoughts right and and so you know sometimes i'd be thinking well there's something going on with that guy and he'd be walking along the road or something and my kids go you can't judge that guy and it's like well i'm not judging why am i not judging because i'm basically just saying what god's saying he doesn't know what i'm saying he doesn't he doesn't really care but there's something about us we're supposed to be able to to judge the circumstances we're supposed to be able to judge, like, what's going on with people. We're supposed to be able to judge atmospheres. We're supposed to be able to judge, meaning that we're supposed to be able to discern, is this God or is this not God? It's a protection for you, and it's a protection for people, amen? As well as it can actually be the favor of God, too, because it can be something that allows you to know that you're supposed to be partnering with this or you're supposed to become a part of something because you know that it's God in the midst of it, amen? But you're judging what's kingdom and what's not kingdom. Why? Because there's a spirit in you that has a witness to the things of the spirit. That's what the Bible says. So that's powerful, amen? And so here you're supposed to be able to judge that. But even when it comes to, like the Bible says here, that you're supposed to be able to do that, but also... It talks about false prophets. And that's part of what I was dealing with a little bit last night in the sense of like this. When we have people that are somehow using the prophetic for their own gain, over and over again. I mean, this isn't just from the pulpit. This is like the people of God now. Like there are a lot of people that have learned this from the pulpit, and now they use the prophetic because they get their value from it. It makes them feel important because they feel like the, the focus is I'm gifted if I can operate in, in, in the prophetic. But the reality is your gifts were not for you, which causes there to be a purity of heart because the gifts were actually meant for the people 
that God was trying to encourage through you. See, you were supposed to get your value from God. You were supposed to get your value from the presence, right? I mean, like, I mean, like, it's exciting if God uses you for the first time and you've never been used by God. I'll give you that, okay? Like if you prophesy over someone or you have a word of knowledge or you pray for someone to be healed and God's never used you before, then you get a pass. You get a pass because you should probably be like, oh my gosh, God used me. That's awesome. Praise God. I didn't even think it was possible. But if you're like 30 years later, that God, you get you give a word, and somebody's like, yeah, that was from God. And you're like, oh, man, I knew it. I'm so good. I am so gifted. And <laughs> Anybody else want a word? Come on. Uh, and if that's where you're operating from, then there's something wrong. Because I, I can tell you, like, after, I, I've done this a lot. I did 164 meetings last year. And so, like, it's not a big deal to me, like, in the sense of, like, I don't personally, like, feel better about myself because I gave someone a word. I'm happy for a person. If somebody gets healed, they get a word. But like, I don't go back and and live my life outside of the podium going, oh my gosh, my life is so much better. No, my life is so much better when I'm in his presence. Because these were just things that God was going to do as a result of being in his presence. It, was, it wasn't what my life was supposed to be about, you know? Like, if my fulfillment is ministry, then I'm going to have the worst life ever. I mean, do you understand that? Like, like, like even, like, from a church standpoint, like, this is, like, this is a couple hours of a day. There has to be something of more value, right? The authenticness is not in the manifestation. The authenticness is not just in the gifting, and it's not just in the results. The authenticness is found in your desire to be connected to him and to his heart. And authentic people, authentic Christian people, are not trying to bring the focus on themselves when God uses them. That doesn't mean that you have to have a false humility and go, oh, that was nothing, I'm nothing. No, that's not, that's not necessarily God either, right? You are something because God decided you were something. He put his spirit in you, right? Like I used to preach sometimes, well, you didn't deserve it. Well, that's not actually true. You deserved it because God decided you deserved it. The reality is you didn't earn it. Jesus earned it for you, but you deserved it because God decided that you deserved it. Amen. And so sometimes, you know, we have to come to those kind of places. But, you know, when you get caught up in him, he becomes enough. Like, you don't really need necessarily to have all of that to have value. As a matter of fact, when I'm still living out of a place of insecurity, that means I haven't been with him enough. Like, insecurity is really me focusing on myself. It's a, it's a shortcoming. It's not like something to be, you know, if, if I'm, when, when I have my eyes focused on God, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or put shame on anybody. I've been insecure before, okay? And I'll probably be insecure at some other point. But when I'm insecure, it's usually because I get my eyes off of God and I get my eyes on myself. And, and when I do that, then, then I can get insecure because now I start thinking it's about me and what I can do and what I can't do. And the reality is it's not supposed to be about what I can do and what I can't do. It's about what it is that he is and what it is that he can do through me. Amen? And if I can get my eyes off of myself. Amen? But this whole thing here about false prophets and things like, see, prophets, 
Prophets, uh, this is my point. Prophets are n- just like every other five-fold ministry gift. Their focus is, is not supposed to be just that they can prophesy. You know, because right now that's what people, because of the media stuff that we have anymore, if you give a word, just because you give a word doesn't mean you're a prophet. And just because you know something doesn't necessarily make you a prophet. The Bible says that prophets are supposed to equip people. See, prophets don't just have a heart for their own gifting. One of the ways that you can discern whether there's a prophet that's of God or not of God is what are they trying to do? Are, are, they, are they coming online to say, hey, I called that out. That was me that said that in 2020. That was me that said that in 2017. Oh, that was me too. Reminds me of Coach Carter, like the movie, right? Oh, yeah, that was me. I drew that up, you know, when they were playing basketball, right? Because all the guys were getting cocky and they were celebrating every single move, right? That's not how we're supposed to be as Christians. See, the, a true prophet actually doesn't just want to hear from God, but he wants other people to be able to hear from God. He wants other Christians. He wants to see them equipped that they would become who they're supposed to be in God. That's a part of the authenticness, right? And our culture is exactly the opposite. Our culture is all about the marketing. It's all about the advertising. It's all about the hype of the person and what it is that they can do. And what it is that they can do or however it is that God is using them should be celebrated in the sense that it should be an inspiration to cause you to want and desire to become that. But there should be an equipping. There should be something more. How do we get the people of God operating in what it is that they're supposed to be? Amen? All right. So in verse 2 it says this. By this you may know or perceive. It's talking about the spirit of the sermon here. um, The spirit of God it says, every spirit which recognizes the Spirit of God, which acknowledges and confesses the fact that Jesus Christ, um, the Messiah, actually has become man and has come in the flesh, is of God and has God for its source. So I'm using the Amplified there. What, what this verse is saying is two things. One, for you to have your source in God as a believer, you have to believe two things. One, you have to believe in a historical Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus Christ actually came to the earth, that he died, that, 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 he, that he lived a sinless life, um, that he was resurrected from the dead, and, and that he paid for your sins, right? But you also have to believe that God has come presently, that God has come in his people presently. See, the spirit of religion it's okay. This unauthentic thing, it's okay with you believing in a historical Jesus as long as you don't believe that God is alive and the same substance of God is operating in the body. Not just his body, but the body meaning the people of God. Amen? And so that is the two things. See, now that puts us at odds with a lot of things. Because there are a lot of churches that they don't necessarily believe that God can do what God did before. They don't necessarily believe that God operates in that way, and they don't necessarily believe that God is operating through his people. Well, the Bible says clearly that this is a big deal. It says this is a big deal because this is how we know what's authentic and what's not authentic. It's not just a God out there. It's not just a God that we're praying to, hoping that somehow he will change 
everything from the external on our behalf. It's a God that does something inside of us so that we would learn how to connect from that place of relationship with him so that we can see the externals be changed. Amen. He has chosen to use you and I. Amen. See, the religious spirit just wants you to take your hands off. Doesn't want you connecting with God. Doesn't want you thinking that somehow when you go someplace that God actually might use you to change the atmosphere, that God might use you to heal somebody, that God might actually use you to speak something even in a situation of counsel or wisdom that would actually influence people in a different direction. Doesn't want you thinking that way. Doesn't want you believing that way, amen? And a matter of fact, the word gets stronger. Because Paul even uses stronger language in the next part. In verse 3, he says, And every spirit which does not acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh would annul, destroy, sever, or disunite him and is not of God as does not proceed from him. That's a big deal. Because now Paul switched. He said, okay, now I'm not just talking about whether Jesus came I'm now talking about whether Jesus has come. This book was written approximately 100 years after Jesus Christ has gone. That's telling us something. That means that the same issue in our day is the same issue here in John's day. Matter of fact, you can see it in Colossians too. You can see it all over the Bible because the issue was that there were people that were trying to get people to think that, you know what, you need to move on. There's a God that's out there, but to think that you can actually have a connection with God and the spiritual realm and with his presence and that God could actually make a difference through you, we got to shut that down. We got to shut that down because we cannot have people think that this Jesus is still alive and still functioning through people because this will wreak havoc. This will cause people to think that they've got to follow something and it's going to bring attention from the direction and the agenda of what it is that we're trying to do for our culture. That was the problem. You know? I mean, that's why one of the worst things that ever happened to us is that we got buildings. And although I'm thankful for buildings, okay, I'm not against the building, but there is a mental construct about the building, Amen. And, and, and we think that's the church rather than it being the people and the people being the called out ones. Like right now, it's like 38 below zero in Montana. And, and so um, that's pretty cold for Californians, right? Uh, and so I'm thankful for a building because you would freeze to death if you don't have one, okay? But like, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, the reason why we were put in buildings is because there was a controversial figure named Constantine that put us in buildings. And the reason why he did that is because we were in the marketplace, Christians, disciples, not just the apostles, but all the Christians were going to the marketplace and they were influencing people. Thousands of people were coming to Jesus on a daily basis where the church was being added to by 1,000 and 2,000 people. Why? Because people were coming to Jesus. They were being led to Jesus. They were being healed. There were signs and wonders and miracles that were happening in the marketplace. So Constantine actually is a political figure, and what he wanted to do is he wanted to appease the different religions and the different businesses and the different political agendas of the day. 
okay? And he said, okay, if we put them in buildings, we can keep the church from growing because now they'll just minister to one another and they'll just stay in there and they won't be going out and making a difference in the world and wherever it is that they go. See, when they came to get the gathering, the gathering, even though you know, I have no problem with it, but the gathering was not supposed to be about the ministry. The gathering was meant to be about the testimony of the ministry. That didn't mean that there couldn't be some ministry that happened in that. That just wasn't the focus. You could have somebody get still healed in the meeting because somebody else was testifying. But what happened is all the meeting was is that they were fellowshipping. They were having a great time. They were having food. And one guy stand up, yeah, I was in the marketplace today, and my arm was like it couldn't move, and now all of a sudden it's healed. It was like withered, and now all of a sudden it's made whole. And all these people that were in the marketplace, they saw it, and they came to Jesus. And then they're like screaming and hollering, and go, woo, yeah, we were there. We saw it. And it was a celebration, right? See, that was who the church was meant to be. That's who you and I were meant to be. And, and God's still looking for us to be that, amen? But the religious spirit wants to shut that down. The spirit of religion wants to shut that down, right? Because it wants a church that won't do that, right? And look what it says here in the next part of this verse. It says, it says here in the second part of verse 3, it says, This non-confession is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you heard it was coming and is now already in the world. That's kind of a, that is a strong statement. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. I mean, what does that mean when there are churches that actually don't believe that God has come in his body currently? I mean, how can, the, how can Christ in an Antichrist spirit have any unity? There's no ability to do it. It's a totally different God. It's a totally different God when you are now, as a Christian person, now only supposed to be able to do things by your own effort versus that you're supposed to have Christ in you that can do things that you cannot do. See, the Antichrist spirit wants to revert you to a way of living where you go back and you do things by the way of the flesh that you have to do it by your own effort, by your own mind, by your own will. See, the Spirit of Christ is different. It came to give you rest. You were supposed to rest in him and rest in what it is that he says, and now he would do things through you. As a matter of fact, maybe I'll talk about this some tomorrow or something, but Hebrews actually says that this was what you repented of when you came to Jesus that you repented from this kind of way of living in verse, in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 4. It actually talks about that, that this is what you turn from to a whole new way of life. See, there was a different way of operating that you were called to operate to, right? The anti-Christ, right? This is what I'm calling the spirit of religion, amen? And, and verse 4 says this. says, little children, you are of God. Now that's a big deal right here, even though when we look at that verse, we don't think it's a big deal because we just think, oh, well, that means I belong. That's not really all that Paul's saying here. That, that's, that statement there is saying you are of the substance of God. 
It's in the context here that he's saying that literally you were born of a whole another substance by the Spirit of God. It's the same Christ that is in you that was in my son. Amen. It's the same Spirit of God that is inside of you. And then he says this. He says, you belong to him and you have already defeated and overcome the agents of the Antichrist. Where'd you overcome? In the Spirit. You may not feel like you overcome, but the Bible says that you overcame in the spirit, right? And then it says this, because he who lives in you is greater than he that lives in the world. Like we hear that verse, you know, that, that's usually oftentimes something that's preached, but it's not preached in the context. Why? Because it's a lot more fluffy it's a lot more feel good just to say, he who lives in you is greater than the world than it is to talk about the Antichrist. That doesn't feel good. But like, it, to know that there's a difference in who we are as believers when it is about the Spirit of God operating in his body today, that it, that it re actually requires people to have connection in terms of his presence to learn to operate in another realm so that we can see the victory that there actually is one greater that is in us than it is in the world that has the power to begin to change things. Amen? That it has the power to begin to see opportunities being realized in the midst of opposition. This is the spirit of our God. Amen? This is the spirit that lives inside of us. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2, and then I'll close up. Amen? How long have I preached? A long time? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, this has been, this has been for the, this is the ages, man. We never seem to stop. Amen? Uh, praise God. We'll go to Colossians chapter 2 uh, for just a moment. Amen? But this is um, chapter 2, verse 9. Some of you might be familiar with the scripture, but this is also just to encourage you. But it says, in, it says here, it says, for in him... The whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. That's what I was talking about before. This, Paul's saying the same thing that John's saying. His emphasis on it continues to dwell in bodily form. Why? Because there's a whole bunch of people in the church of Colossae that also want the church to quit believing that God is living in them that they can have a relationship with the Spirit because they're born of the Spirit and they don't, they want to shut this down. Just like our world wants to shut it down right now. Our world doesn't want people believing that. They don't want people believing that because if people believe that, then that would mean that there's a difference between you and people that don't know Jesus. And, that, and that's going to cause problems. That's going to cause problems for other religions. That's going to cause problems because there's going to be something that is authentic and there's something that's not authentic. And if you believe literally what Jesus was saying and what the Bible says, that's going to cause problems because that means that either it's true or Jesus is a liar. So either the world is going to like embrace this and they're going to have a switch or you're going to totally deny your faith and walk away. Either way, the spirit of Antichrist then would walk in a place of victory. But this is why it requires encounter. This is why it requires an experience with God 
that has transformed you from the inside and not just from a place about whether it feels like that there's a place that you fit in with the culture that you're living in. Amen? When we were talking about that today. But often what happens is the church, it starts to reflect culture. And we start acting in a way that's to reflect that. But what changed the world wasn't that we blended in with culture. It was that we were anti-culture. That we were, that, well, I don't like that word. But we're not anti-culture. But we're like, we're, we're counter-culture would be a way. We're, not, we're living from an upside-down kingdom, amen? Excuse me, anti-culture. We're not against people, amen? That was a wrong, wrong way of saying that. But we are for people, but we are counter-culture in the sense that we're living from a different place, from a different culture, and it's called the kingdom, amen? And here, and here in Colossians 2, it says this. It says, there's this, for in him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form and give exp- complete expression to the divine nature. I mean, complete means it's the full. You've got it, and it's put in you the moment you get born again. The problem is that you have things in you that you don't know. We all do. It's not an insult. It's like I have things in me that I don't even know. Why? Because that's part of that. That is part of like the excitement of relationship with God. If you knew it all, you'd be bored. You'd move on thinking that, oh, well, I've got everything I need. There's no reason for me to connect with God anymore. He showed me the whole thing. No, God's unfolding things to you, right? He's showing you more. There's layers and there, there's places to peel off more and to go deeper all the time. There's greater places of revelation, right? When you think you know it all, God wants to show you something that was, he just sets you up to, th- to think that this is what he was really trying to show you when it was just really step one in all the things that he was actually trying to lead you into. Amen? And that's, and that's who he is, right? But like, you've got all of this in you, but it takes relationship. It takes intimacy. It takes being in his presence. It takes, it takes being with him and wanting to hear his voice in order to begin to unravel all that is in you. And you'll spend a lifetime doing this. That's why it's got to be about love, right? And in verse 10 says this, And you are in him made full and having come to fullness of life in Christ you too are filled with the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is what my Bible says. Now, that's a big deal, right? That's a mouthful, isn't it? Like some people, like their theology is that they think that God the Father is way bigger than Jesus. But the Bible, the Bible says here, if you believe that, that you've got all of the Father. You don't just have Jesus. You got all of the Father inside of you the moment that you got born again. You got all of the Father. So if he's the big one, you got the big one. But then, you know, and, 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 if, and if you're just a Jesus one only kind of thing, but you got all of Jesus in you too. But now you got the Father and you got Jesus, right? And then it says you got all of the Holy Spirit in you. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. It's not just Jesus in your heart, right? That might be great in Sunday school with our kids and stuff like that. But the reality is it's way bigger and it's way better. We're just trying to give them an on-ramp for a place of trying to understand where, where they are at that particular point in their life. But this says you've got all of the Father, all of the Son, all of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls it the Godhead that is inside of you. You know what that means? 
That means that when you come to a fight, it's not even fair. And the enemy wants to get you (laughs) focused on what you are or what you would be without God and convince you that you don't have this. That you are left on your own to your own abilities. And that, that you somehow aren't spiritual enough. That you somehow aren't good enough. And if you were, that somehow things would be working out differently. Rather than engaging with God in a place that he would begin to unwrap this stuff inside of you so that you can begin to experience it. You know, the enemy wants us living like a schizophrenia Christianity where sometimes we think we're one thing and sometimes we think we're something else. But it's, you know, one of the things that I found is this, that like oftentimes people will, will wait till crisis oftentimes to try to engage God. And it's really hard under pressure sometimes to hear God. That's what I found. But if I'm relaxed, it's a lot easier. And so the, the more that I've learned to make this a lifestyle, you know, some people, they get mad at God. Well, why isn't, why isn't God speaking? Well, here's something that, that I've learned. Oftentimes in, that people in the church it's not that they're not trying hard enough. Sometimes it's that they're trying too hard. Because, people, because we're told things like, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we do that, and we try to do it with an intensity. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe, maybe this only makes sense to me in this sense. But like I, I always was taught to put like a lot of horsepower into things. My dad would say that. You know, put some horsepower to it, which meant you know, really get in there and, you know, and you know, put some effort into it you know, physically and stuff. And I tried to carry that over as a Christian into my, into my life originally. And I remember God was dealing with me like for three or four areas in my life almost 30 years ago. And I remember being in an altar. And I was just sitting there with my fist clenched. And I'm like, I'm trying to get God to do this thing. And I remember the Holy Spirit just said, just open up your hands. It was like a way of just saying, you just need to relax. Because even if God was trying to speak to me, I was so intense that there was no way for God to get through to me. And sometimes we're trying in a way that's not just our heart, you know, like, hey, you know, because trying for the Christian is more like, how do you yield? Like, how do you surrender rather than how do you try to make something happen? Like, you know, sometimes, sometimes I cringe when people are like, well, not on my watch, you know, kind of thing. Well, are, are we abiding are we trying to live out of the way that Jesus lived? Or are we trying to make something happen ourselves? Because what I found is that the success of the kingdom is trying to live like Jesus lived. If I could figure out what the Father's doing and do that, I could, I could see a lot of stuff. But if I'm trying to, I'm trying to twist something and make something happen that I can't really see him doing, I can walk in a lot of disappointment and a lot of discouragement. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do. He already wants to heal because that's who he is. He already wants to provide because that's who he is.
he already wants to protect because that's who he is. He already wants to give you peace, right? He wants to, all these things, that's who he is. It's found in him. But science, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find that apart from him. And if we get in him, then he starts to show us. Now we have authority in order to be able to experience it. Amen? And that's a different thing because that's where we want to get. But we can't, we can't make it happen by ourselves. We can't make it happen, but we can put ourselves in a position to begin to get revelation of what it is that he has already given to us. Amen? That's what the Bible is talking about. And here, look what it, this brings it full, full, full circle, if you will. But it says, and he is the head of all rule and authority over every angelic principality and power. I started off by talking about, you know, that whole thing with spiritual warfare. Right? That our, that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right? But it's against these principalities and these powers and rulers. And this scripture is saying that everything of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit was put into Jesus. And everything that was put into Jesus was put into you. And Jesus has been given authority over every angelic principality, power, and ruler. And now he put it in you. And that authority resides in you. And you get to discover it by being in relationship, by waiting in his presence. And here's just a little nugget here as I try to bring it to a close, but like, and land this plane, whatever that means. But like, what, what I've found is that you have to go wait. We were singing about it tonight at one point, right? Like, and a lot of times that sounds good when it's, when it's in a worship scenario. Oh, we wait on you, and you got the drum going, you got the bass going, you got my brother with, you know, has a great voice back there in the corner, and you know, the guy, my, my friend on the keyboard, and and, and, and you know, all of this dynamic that's going on, it's like, oh, this sound, waiting sounds like magnificent. It, it sounds heavenly, right? And then you have to go wait. And it's hard to wait, Right? But biblical waiting means to fellowship. It means to like, and, and God told me, and, I, and I've shared this here before, but God told me when I was waiting on him one time, he, said, he, he spoke to me when I hadn't heard him speak for a long time. He said, he said, are you here to be with me or are you here to see what I can do for you? And what I found is that most Christians have a hard time waiting in our culture. And you can't make things happen by going faster because God's after something sometimes that's different than what we're after. There's something that he's trying to do in us to say, do you want me or do you want the answer? And God already wants the answer is, and he already knows the answer and he's not impatient, he's not insecure and he's not in a hurry. But we have to wait. And you have to wait not until you feel like you're done waiting, you have to wait until you have an encounter. You have to wait until you have an experience. Amen? You know, I was in another meeting one time, and this is just kind of um, just sharing some of the things God does, you know. And, and th- today I was talking about, you know, like, you know, it's, it's for every single thing that I talk about that God's done, I've got a million failures too. 
and a million. I don't know if it's a million. I'm not that. You know, maybe maybe I'm over exaggerating my failures, but um, but I'm just saying like. You hope so, huh? I mean, one in a million is better than none, though, right? I mean, okay, okay. She's she's hoping, she's hoping. Well, don't put your hopes in me, amen. All right, no, no. I mean, but um, I'm just saying, like, you know, sometimes you have to try things. You have to step out. Even Hebrews talks about, you know, trying to figure out like what is God and what's not God by stepping into it. But you you have to you have to you have to you have to be able to put yourself in a scenario with God, and you have to and and you have to wait until. Until something happens, not just, okay, well, I'm going to do my devotions today. That's what I'm talking about. Because the, the war, the religious, the Antichrist spirit, it just wants you to, like, set your egg timer. That's what my wife did growing up. She said, well, you know, we spend time with God, so we go over and we turn our egg timer on for 30 minutes, and we spend 30 minutes with God. And, and she said, all you're doing is looking over that egg timer, waiting for it to go off. You're not enjoying God. See, that's not how it works. You're not going to have breakthrough in your relationship with God with that. Not usually. I mean, there, there could be an exception. I don't want to, you know, totally box anybody in. But normally, you have to wait and be with God until the agendas of your heart are changed and, until, and, and all of our agendas are changing daily. But you, you have to wait on him until there's an encounter. There's that place where you know that you've met with God, right? That you've experienced the glory of God, not just because you were going through the motions and you were trying to get your devotions done so that you felt like you did your duty. That's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for you to do anything for him except for want to figure out how to be with him, that everything would come out of that. So I was ministering in this town in Missoula, uh, Montana, and I just remember that um, um, I, I was standing there, and all of a sudden I just got this this vision, this this open vision, and I and and it was a newspaper article, and it said that there was a young girl that got kicked in the head by a horse and that was in a coma. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this didn't start by being in the podium. This didn't start like because I just all of a sudden got this word. This happened. Because I'd been spending time with the Lord, and and God was opening up my capacity, so that I could I could be more sensitive, and be able to be able to perceive things from Him that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do that before. And and so things happen in the quiet that begin to manifest in the public, which is really what Jesus talks about in terms of the prayer closet. And so, so I just asked somebody, just based on that, I just said, is anybody in here have, like, somebody that they know that's, like, a young person that was kicked in the head by a horse? This lady stands up, like, uh, in where I'm at, is over by where Celeste is and her daughter, and, and, uh, um, and she stands up, and she says, well, my niece um, was, was just this, this week, a couple days ago, was, was kicked in the head by a horse, and she's in the hospital right now. And so we prayed right there with that lady, and, and we prayed for that little girl, and God healed her. And the moment that we were praying, like, like, like she was being healed in the hospital, and she went and she was able to visit her niece, and she had come out of the coma while it was that we were praying. I'm just telling, I'm just telling you that God wants to do things that are a lot different than just the ordinary. Amen. And God wants to do things that are through you. He doesn't want to just do it through a preacher. He doesn't want to just do it through a few of us. He wants to do things through all of us. 
and, and, and there, there is something that God is looking in terms of who wants me, who just really wants me and wants to be with me. Because, you know, those are great stories, but they're just stories about things that God did for people. What, God was, what God's impressed with wasn't that I had a word. He's not impressed by that at all. What he's impressed of is that somebody just wants to be with him. Because that's all he's looking for. He's just looking for people that want to be with him. And that when you're with him, he will start to do the things that open up capacity in you that you didn't have before. Amen? That's an awesome God. That's a good God. That's why God's looking for people that aren't just looking to build their own kingdoms. They're not looking just to do their own agenda. Um, It's not just about their own works. It's about somehow learning to surrender, somehow learning to yield to the presence of God so that you can begin to do things not even knowing that you were going to do them. I mean, that's amazing, right? When you can go into places you weren't expecting God to do anything, you weren't trying to do anything, and but all of a sudden, because you've been with him, you become aware or sensitive um, to his presence in a place, in a conversation with a person, and now all of a sudden, God does something, and you were like just as surprised as anybody else. I mean, most of the time when God's used me, I'm kind of like, I'm surprised. Because I wasn't expecting it. I was just like, the, the greatest things that God has done has not been when I've expected it, it's when I'm not. And that's why it's really odd that sometimes people go like, come expecting. Well, if my expectation is in him, that's awesome. But if my expectation's in a moment, or a way, or a particular thing that God's going to do, then, you know, it may not be him. It may be me trying to, you know, try to make something happen in a way that hasn't necessarily come from the spiritual realm, but it's come from the natural realm. And my authority is in the spiritual realm. It originated in the spiritual realm so that I could begin to change things so that God could be released things in our physical, natural world to experience it. Amen? All right. So, Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this long-winded preacher that finally shut up. Amen? Uh, There's... there's some places I've gone where people say, well, I was just trying to get, you know, we're going to make sure we get our money's worth. And so <laughs> whatever that means, amen. But <laughs> So, Lord, we, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, I want to be authentic. I want to be real. I want to be genuine not just before people, but before you. And Lord, we want to have a body. We want to have a people, Lord God, that would so display your likeness, so display your character. A people that have been with you, that have no agenda, except for to see your agenda released. Lord, stir in us. Stir in us something, Lord God, that's different than just normal Christianity and church as usual. Lord, I pray right now, just lift your hands with me all over this place. 
Lord, I pray, Lord God, for divine encounters, Lord God. Divine encounters, Lord God, with the people that would wait on you. Lord, as they sleep and as they wake, Lord God, I pray that you would begin to show yourself to them, that you would draw them into your presence, oh God, that you would stir up, Lord God, the things that are inside of them, a hunger and a thirst. I pray, Lord God, for the revelatory capacity, Lord God, to be increased, Lord God, in their mind's eye, Lord God, that they would begin to know things, Lord God, that they normally wouldn't know, that they would begin to see things that they would not normally see, that they would begin to hear things that they would not normally hear, that there would be impressions, that there would be promptings, that there would be knowings that come from you, that come out of a place of authenticity, a place of intimacy, a place of genuineness, Lord God. And Lord God, that your kingdom would manifest in Jesus' name. Lord, we want you to have the glory. We want you to have the honor. Mighty God, there is none like you. There is none like you. Just worship him with me for just a moment. Just lift your hands and just begin to tell him, there is none like you, Jesus. The presence of God is here. I can sense him. I can feel him. I know him. (laughs) Jesus, we love your presence. We love your glory. Lord, your presence is better than life. You're the best thing, Lord God. We don't have to be anything. We don't have to perform. We've just got to rest in you because you're enough. You're enough. Lord God Almighty, worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. You're worthy of it all. There is none like you. There is none like you, O God. Your presence is better than life. It's better than my life. It's better than the air that goes in and out of my own lungs. You are so worthy, worthy to be praised, worthy to be adored, worthy to be exalted, oh God. Your name, you alone are high and lifted up. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Lord, show your love. Show your love to your people, oh God. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Pour out your love. His presence is here. His healing power is here. Thank you, Jesus. Show your love to your people. Show your love to your people, Lord God. Some of you just can get healed just right in the presence of God. Just sitting right in his presence. It doesn't even require a word. It's just in his presence. Just being with him. Heat. Fire of God. Begin to shoot into the bodies and the places of pain and cause it to be gone. Torment and affliction. Take your hands off of your people. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for that shoulder right now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. That rotator cuff, I command it to be healed in the name of Jesus. The shooting pain, come out in Jesus' name. There's none like you. There is none like you. (laughs) Lord, that lower abdomen, right now the pain 
in that right side of that lower abdomen. I command it out right now in Jesus' name. Stomach, be healed. Be healed in the name of Jesus. My God, worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, for those hormones, those chemical imbalances right now. If you're experiencing some chemical imbalances right now in your body, just lift your hand toward the Lord. And we're just gonna we're just gonna pray that God would just heal it right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we command those hormones right now in the name of Jesus. By your stripes, your people are healed. They are made whole in the mighty name of Jesus. Mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for that meniscus, Lord God, of the knee. That meniscus of the knee to be healed right now. That bone on bone, that knee right now in the name of Jesus. I command it to be pain free. Pain free. Be healed. Be made whole in the name of Jesus. Lord, my brother that was healed before, Lord God, even as he was telling me last night, Lord, not by a word of knowledge, but Lord God, his feet need to be healed. Matter of fact, there's some others in here that your feet need to be healed. There's pain in somebody's arch. There's pain in somebody's arch. Who has pain in their arch? Just lift your hand toward heaven right now. Just lift it toward heaven. We're going to pray for the pain in the feet. The heat in the feet be released right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, touch these feet. Be made whole. Jesus. Never to be the same again. In the name of Jesus. By your stripes. My brother is healed. You've done it before. Do it again. In the name of Jesus. Mighty God. Mighty God. Heat, 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 heat in the feet. In the name of Jesus. Show him your love. Show him your love. Show him your love. Show him your love. Lord, for the back pain, Lord God, for that back pain, those discs right now, Lord God, on the right side in the name of Jesus. <laughs> a lot of stuff on the right side. Maybe it's all on this side of the church. The right side in the name of Jesus, Lord God Almighty. Lord, I pray that you would begin to align backs just as you would begin to bring alignment into Fontana, into Riverside, Upton, Lord God, all of these different areas, Lord God, of Southern California, Lord God, in this Eastern Valley, Lord. I pray right now for alignment in the spines that would be a testimony, Lord God, of your alignment. Scoliosis come out in the name of Jesus. That pain right now, you got to go in Jesus' name. Let the floaters in the eyes, we command them out in the name of Jesus. Clarity, no more floaters, no more floaters, no more floaters in the name of Jesus. Just begin to test something. If something's been called out, even if something hasn't been called out, just begin to test it before the Lord. Find out if something's changed. Lord, I pray for that, that ringing in the left ear in the name of Jesus. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. Clarity, clarity of the ear in the name of Jesus. No more feeling like it's stopped up. Somebody's had, somebody's had a sinus problem, and that sinus problem's been causing a problem in the ear. The ear has been, uh, it's feel like it's closing and it's opening up. It's almost like whether you're underwater or it feels like it's just like it's hard to hear. It's caused a frustration right now. If that's you, just lift your hand. 
In the name of Jesus, Lord God, we command. I see a, I see a couple hands going up right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, our ear open up in the name of Jesus. Be made whole. Jesus, I pray for healing. Even, Lord God, for people that don't know that they're healed, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that they would experience it not only today, but even over the next three days. Lord, I'm just recalling a man that was in a service. He didn't even know he got healed. He walked out to the car. When he got out of the car, he found out his knee was healed. Lord God came back in to testify how his knee was totally pain-free in the name of Jesus all over this place, all over this place. Release it in the name of Jesus. Release it in the name of Jesus. I feel, like, I feel like there's somebody here that has lupus. There's some kind of autoimmune disease. If you have lupus or you have an autoimmune disease, just lift your hand before the Lord. Right there. Anybody else tonight? That's you. Lord God, right now, Lord God, I command the autoimmune. I command lupus out of this body right now in the name of Jesus. Would you put your hands on her? Ma'am, would you do that? Thank you, Jesus. Right now, Lord God, would you extend your hands toward this woman right here? Lord, I command that autoimmune disease out of her body right now in the name of Jesus. That fatigue, that weariness, Lord God, that wears her body down, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Body, you will no longer attack yourself. By your stripes, she is healed. Be made whole. Heat all through that blood. Every cell right now in the name of Jesus aligned with you for your glory. Mighty God, mighty God, there's none like you. There's none like you. There's none like you. If, there, if there's anybody here, you're having issues with your blood, we just want to pray for that right now. I just want to pray uh, for any cancer, any, any, any uh, blood disorders of any kind. Right now, lupus was a blood disorder. It's autoimmune. That, that's a blood disorder. Right now, if you're just having some sickness in your body that's related to blood, just lift your hands toward the Lord. Lord, we, we see all these hands. And Lord God, we lift these people up to you. An attack on the blood is an attack on the life. And Lord, you are life and you are our strength and our source. Lord, I command their blood to be made whole. Every cell be made whole. Any high blood pressure, any diabetes, any cancer, in the name of Jesus, you must bow to the name that is above every other name in the name of Jesus. There's, I feel heat right now in my hand. <laughs> There's a warmth. Some of you are going to feel some warmth in a place in your body that God's touching right now in the name of Jesus. Heat. Healing heat of God. Jesus. Your people are healed. Your people are made whole. In the name of Jesus. Mighty God. Mighty God. Lord God, just... Any pain in this room, any pain, any sickness, any disease, we command it to bow to the name that is above every other name. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. If you, if you can sense God's touched your body in some way, you feel like something's changed, some pain's gone, something's happened, just wave your hand at me. 
Just wave your hand at me. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different people that are waving their hands right now. That God is touching their bodies right now. That either some kind of a pain, something has begun to change in their bodies. Amen. That does that doesn't you know that's a lot of people even in this size room. But you know what? And and that may be that God just started to do something. But we're believing God would finish it. But more than that, there are other people in this room that you may not know yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. But not only may you you may not know, but that God will finish sometimes what he is doing over the process of a couple days. I see more people normally that are healed in a, in, a, in a period of probably three days than I do in the actual meeting. But what God does sometimes is he encourages us, one, by doing sometimes miraculous things. He starts to either heal or do something miraculous in, in, in the moment so that he shows us who he is so that we can stay in a place where we can believe him, right? Because sometimes what we're expecting is it to happen in just a moment. And it does, and then sometimes it doesn't. It's a little bit of both, amen? One time I was, I was at a meeting in Mexico. I was so mad. I was so mad because I, I prayed for all these people at this meeting, and there was a bunch of people that got healed. And there was one lady that I remember I prayed for that did not get healed that night. And I was mad. And she, had, she was blind, and she could not see. And so, I mean, I remember I'd risked my life. I was going um, across all these borders of, of police and fake police and all kinds of stuff. And, and I, I got back, and I'm mad at God. I came all the way down here. I'd be mad if I was that woman, and she didn't get healed. And I was arguing with God, and I was mad at him. And I was just having it out with God. And then three days later, I was preaching in another city, and this woman showed up, and she says, do you remember me? And she goes, I was the lady that you prayed for that could not see three days ago. And, and God had healed her eyes. <laughs> That's an amazing God. Amen. Amen. So, I, you know, I try to encourage people, you know, like stay in a place of not allowing, you know, the enemy to try to get in that place. Say, okay, you know, the enemy wants to shut us down. Okay, I don't know. If you don't know, that's okay. We don't want anybody to fake it. We want it to be authentic. Amen. We want it to be that God's actually doing something in our bodies. Amen. Here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna come um, one more time. We're gonna come to the altar tonight. Amen. And we're gonna and we're gonna ask God. But before we come to the altar, I had told you that I was gonna have you do your offering envelopes and stuff. And I'm gonna ask you to ask the Lord what He would have you to do. And if you would fill those out, or you would put, you know, whatever you wanted to do in your offering, if you haven't already done that, and you can just bring it to the altar with you at the same time. Amen. That offering that I was talking about for children at risk, um, specifically to help us to reach kids. Um, that are being trafficked, sex trafficked, amen? And we're going to rescue some kids tonight um, from that, amen? If you don't have an offering, please, please, please hear me clearly. Do not feel like you have to have an offering to come. Okay, this is not an offer. This is not an, an altar call to say you come. It's not a pay 
so I can pray for you. Amen. This is, this is for all. So if you're a young person, you're somebody that doesn't have something, you just come and you bring yourself because we're going to still minister together. I'm just doing this for the sake that it will make it easier in the moment. Amen. For the sake of time. But I'm going to minister over a few people as well in just a moment. But we're going to come and we're going to worship God together. Amen. And give him praise and give him thanks for what it is that he is doing in our midst. Amen. How many, know, how many know that God is good to us? How many believe God is good to us? Amen. He's an awesome God. How many believe God is here tonight? I can still feel his presence. Amen. I'm starting to feel that electricity I was talking about last night. Amen. He is a, he is a good God. So let's just bow our heads for just a moment before we do that. Because I, w- I just want to give one more, one more um, opportunity here. With all of our heads bowed and eyes closed. You may be here tonight and you would say that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not sure that you're right with God. And Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made it clear that there's no one that comes to God except through the Son. Through Jesus. It's the only way. It doesn't matter what any other religion says. Either Jesus was truth and he was telling the truth or he was a liar. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning none of us are perfect. You know, religion tries to tell us, tell us that somehow we can do things to make God like us better that we can do things that somehow will help God feel like that we're right with him. And some people wait because they delay thinking, well, you know what? If I could just get my life right, if I could just get things put together, then God would accept me. That's not the Bible at all. The Bible is give your life to Jesus and watch him transform you from the inside out. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he was saying, I am another reality. I am of another reality. And I came to change your reality with my reality. I came to bring my reality into your reality. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what, Pastor? I need you to pray for me. I want to make sure that I'm right with Jesus before I leave. I just want to give you that opportunity tonight. If that's you, would you slip your hand to the air and say, you know what? I want you to pray for me. I want to make sure that I'm right with Jesus tonight. Just lift your hand high so I can see. It's dark in here, and so I can't see very well, but I just want to give everybody an opportunity. We might all be believers here tonight, and that's okay, but I, but I just felt like a quickening that there was somebody that I was supposed to say that for. And so, that doesn't mean that there isn't somebody here either because there could be that somebody will come up afterwards and say, oh, would you pray for me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we're praying right now, Lord God that you would stir us up, that you would activate inside of us. Would you come to the altar with me right now? 